Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. If you would please stand for the reign of God's Word if you're able to. Mark chapter 12. We began a series about two weeks ago on Sunday mornings that we've titled For His Namesake. For His Namesake. I don't think we realize the importance that the Lord puts on His name. I think many times we stop and think that it's all about us. And it's not about us. It's about the Lord. And all that He does do, yes, we benefit from it. But it's for His namesake. It's for His great purpose. It's for His great glory. It's to magnify Him. This time of year when we come into the Christmas season, our minds so many times they go here and there. And I'll be honest with you, and I've said this before, Probably sometimes one of the hardest times of the year to preach to a congregation is around the Christmas time. And the reason is, is as you're preaching, you can feel, and you would have, Brother Dave Kuh knows what I'm talking about, you got a feeling of the people. You know if they're with you. You know if they're getting what you're saying. But you also have that feeling if their mind and heart is way over here. And it's almost like preaching... Well, during the COVID, it's about like preaching to these empty pews. And it's a dangerous thing, it's a terrible thing to see that happen at, the great, at one of the greatest times of the year when we celebrate the coming of our Savior. Uh, the two greatest events is that, that we celebrate is our, the coming of our Savior and the resurrection of our Savior. And uh, they're, they're tied together. And... Uh, but uh, as we look at, the, at, at this this morning, I want you to realize that it's about the Lord. It's for His name's sake. In Mark chapter 12, begin reading verse 1, it says, And He began to speak unto them a parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. At the season he went, uh, he sent uh, to the husbandman of the servant, a servant that he might receive from the husband of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and they beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbands said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. They took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall... Therefore the Lord of the vineyard do. He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard to other, unto others. And, and have not ye read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he spoke the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. If you look with me back in verse 6, notice what it says, Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, 
He sent him also unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. I'd like to preach a message that I've titled, For his name's sake, he sent his son. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We are so thankful that you did send your son, that we might have eternal life, that we might have redemption, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might have an eternal home in heaven with you, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. I thank you this morning, Lord, for the folks that are able to be here and those that are able to watch live stream. Bless each one, Lord. Lord, you know the need of every heart. You know what's on what's on the agenda for their week, Lord. May they set that aside. May they tune their hearts completely into you in the things of God this morning. I pray, Lord, if there's any that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that's why you sent him, that they might be saved. So, Lord, I pray that if they're here in the auditorium or watching, Lord, by live stream or maybe even down in the children's church, Lord, that today would be that day that they would receive that wonderful gift of salvation. Just as... As Elaine sang, Lord, about Mary had a little lamb, and Lord, that lamb washed away that sin. Lord, I pray that that might take place in someone's life today. Father, we thank you for loving us. We pray that you bless the preaching of thy word. Be with our nation. Be with our leaders. Encourage and strengthen. Be with those who are battling the COVID and other diseases and other illnesses, Lord. Touch their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As I said, as we enter into the, this season, the, the one message that really uh, should always stand out in our hearts and minds is the reality that God sent His Son, sent His only Son. In this parable we find here, this, the man that owned the vineyard is God. The Son that was sent was and is Jesus Christ. The husbandman, in, in, in true interpretation of the scripture, is Israel. That day and time, as he was speaking to them, uh, that could also be an application to you and I and, and to the lost world today uh, as being the husbandman. We find here that, you know, Israel rejected Jesus Christ. Those husbandmen, and, and this was the parable that Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus was laying before them that this man sent his son and they killed the son. And, and because Jesus was foretelling of what was going to take place in his life as he would be crucified, he was sent by the Father. He was sent unto Israel. The husbandmen, they were, they, were, they were the husbandmen over the vineyard. And yet they killed the son. They killed the son. We find that is a parable and they realized what was taking place as he told this parable and they became angry and they wanted to lay hands on him then and they wanted to do away with him then, but they were not able. But this morning I'd like to take this portion of Scripture and I'm not going to do it any harm, but I'd like to take it into application uh, to you and I today. So many times, as I said, it was written to Israel, but I think it applies and can be applied to us as being the husbandman. So if you would look this morning at, the, at the, this thought, for his namesake, God sent his son. First of all, there were those who came before the son came. Look here with me in verse 2. It says, And at that season he sent to the husband a servant that he might receive from the, from, from the, husband, from the husband of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. 
And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. Verse 5, and again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Just as the owner of this vineyard sent his servants to the husbandman, our Heavenly Father has sent others before he sent his son. We find over in Scripture in Jeremiah 25, 4, it says, And the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. You say, well, that's Old Testament preaching. Yeah, but if you go into the New Testament, you find Jesus himself saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee. How oft I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Over the years, uh, going back even before Jesus Christ, the Lord had sent His servants, He had sent His prophets to foretell and to tell of the coming of the Savior and to draw Israel to them. But even beyond that, after Jesus Christ came, the Word of God went out. The Word of God went out. Even today, the Word of God is going out trying to get others to turn to Jesus Christ. He sent His servants. He sent His prophets. You can go back into, even into the history of this country and in the, in the history of uh, 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 the old, old country, uh, England and, and other countries, and, and how that, uh, throughout this world how that the gospel has been suppressed by those who, who try to stop the servants of God of, of giving the Word of God and telling others about this one called Jesus Christ. But even in that day and time as... As Jesus had went to the cross and we find that uh, the, the apostles, uh, how that they went and they begin to share the gospel, how that they abused them and they killed them. And, and we could take and, and go through the apostles and how they were martyred and killed for the cause of Christ. Some of them were, were uh, 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 also crucified and, and crucified upside down because they didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Christ was. Some, the Bible says that they were sawn asunder, literally taking saws that they cut wood with and cut them in in pieces others were 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 stoned and others were hanged and others were were killed by the sword and on goes the list of those that God had sent down through the ages that they might get the word of God that they might be saved that they might know about this one that was coming into the world Jesus Christ and then after that those who have shed their blood and, and, and for the cause of Christ getting the word of God out that others in this day and time might know about Jesus Christ all across this land, around the world. There's been preachers standing behind pulpits today, and, and in some, other, some places it's, it's not Sunday, it's, a, it's another day, and, and, but they, they stand behind the pulpits and proclaim the Word of God. Some are at, go out on the streets and invite, and some pass out gospel tracts and, and different things to invite people to get in, and yet it's rejected. This world has not changed it's still rejecting those who have been sent to proclaim the word of God the parable was pointed at the Jews as I said that day but it's pointed at us today men and women with hardened hearts and that are hardened against the Lord and against the word of God and rejecting Jesus Christ Hebrews three fifteen says while it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts as in the provocation you know, it's so easy for people to say, to put the Lord off and to, and to harden their hearts. We live in, we're living in a day and time where hearts have become hardened 
towards the gospel. Hearts have become, become hardened against the things of God. Hearts have become hardened against that which uh, uh, should magnify and glorify the Lord. It's amazing. You go and knock on some doors and sometimes you'll have people, as you knock on the door, you invite them to church and they laugh and they mock and say, oh, I'm not going to go up there where there's a bunch of hypocrites or this or that. Looking for excuses, looking for a reason not to turn their hearts toward the Lord. Their hearts become hardened. They turn away from God. It's a sad time. And as I said Many times during this time of year, hearts become hardened because we're, our minds are on the things of uh, the festivities of Christmas instead of the, what Christmas is really about. Oh, how we need to focus on the Lord. So the owner of the vineyard sent his son. He sent all these others. He said, I'm going to send my son. Look at him, verse 6. It says, having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him. Also last unto them saying, they will reverence my son. They will reverence my son. You know, you would have thought that they would have. Again, this is a picture of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Notice the description that the father gives of his son that he'll send. It was his only son there. It says, having yet therefore one son. One son. Isn't that amazing? God has one son. No, sir, if you're, and you've, you've memorized it throughout the years. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. We get into some, some struggles sometimes with people that, that want to talk about versions and stuff like that. But that one verse is a good enough verse right there to stand on the King James Bible. You say, well, how do you get that, preacher? Because... You look in, in a lot of the scriptures that a lot of people are using where, the, where they have taken the word begotten out. Do you know what begotten is? It's an old English worm, word that means gened. That young man right there, he's got my genes. He's got my, he probably don't want some of them, but he's got them. <laughs> and he is my only begotten son. Don't have any others. But he is gened. He is from my genes. He has my genes within his body. Jesus Christ is the only begotten gene son of God. This man had one son. This Lord of this vineyard had one son. He sent that son. It was his only son. He knew that they had killed the others, but he, he thought maybe they'll reverence my son. It was... His loved son. He loved that son. No, sir, it says, well-beloved. He loved him. It wasn't, well, you know, good time to get him out of the house, you know. No, he loved that son. And so he sent that son. We're all familiar also with, with Matthew three seventeen, when the Lord declares his son that he loves him. And Matthew three seventeen says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said, this is my son. This is my beloved son. I love my, my son. The heavenly father said, I love my son. This is my son. Proud of him. He said, in whom I'm well pleased. And that's the one he sent. His son was one that represented the father. That, would, 
that should have received respect and reverence because of who he was and who he represented. He said, he's saying there, they will reverence my son. They will reverence my son. You know, when you stop and think about it as a Christian, boy, this world should have reverenced the Son of God. The very Son of God. We should have held Him in awe. We should have glorified Him. We should have, we have the Son of God with us, dwelling among us. It should have meant so much to us. It should have been so, so, so moving and stirring in our hearts and even yet today. When we, when we think about Jesus Christ, some, so many Christians today, they don't reverence Jesus Christ. They treat Him any old way. They kick Him around like a football. They drag His name through the mud. They don't reverence Him. They use His name in slurs and slang and, 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 and derogatory remarks and cuss, cursing and cussing. And They use His name as a, as a byword. There, there seems to be very little reverence unto the Son of God anymore. Oh, how there should be that reverence. There should be that desire to lift Him up. This is the one the Father sent, the Heavenly Father. God the Father exalted Him and exalted His name in Philippians 2. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him and, and given Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His Father exalted Him. Oh, how we need to exalt Him. Well, when we, the opportunities that you and I have to magnify the name of the Lord. It, it, the Lord gives us opportunity time and time again. And oh, how we need to reverence His name. He was sent or given by the Father. There also it says, and He sent Him also last unto them. You know, down through the ages, God looked down. He knew He had a plan. And He knew that His plan included His Son. He knew that He would have to send His Son into this world. And even before Jesus came, Isaiah speaks here of the Son of God being sent to all mankind. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Son of God. He was given unto us he was, that we might have eternal life. He was given unto us. It is the greatest gift. And you hear this over and over at Christmas time. The greatest gift given. But it is so true. The greatest gift that would make a difference in your life, in my life. Not just now. Not just for a few years. Not just for a few weeks. You know, a lot of times at Christmas you open up a gift and... And you look at it and, and it, it's great and you enjoy it and, and maybe it's a, a new belt or something. But in a, a few years or whatever, uh, you either outgrow it or else it, it gets worn and you have to replace it. You enjoyed that belt. You liked that belt. It was your, maybe it was your favorite gift that you got, but you have to replace it. it it's just not the same. And, and so, uh, and you may get another one and it may, you, you may get this and say, man, I've been wanting one of these. And, and next thing you know, in a week or so, it's broken. 
and you're sending it back or, or have you opened the gift before and, and you look down there and you pull it out like that and you say, not near big enough. And these gifts are short-lived. But the gift that God gave when He gave His Son to us, the Son is born, He is given. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son. Christmas is because of what God gave, not because of what we give. Christmas is not about you and I having festivities. Christmas is about what the Lord did for us. And oh, how we need to realize that. And I'm not against giving gifts. I think it's, it's fine. And I'm not against all that. I'm just saying that we need to put in perspective what God has done for us. When he was sent, the angels of heaven proclaimed it in an announcement to the shepherds that holy night. A very familiar portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, but beginning in verse 8, it says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Verse 10, he says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day, otherwise given, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There shall be a sign in you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. No greater gift was ever given as God gave His Son, as God sent His Son into this world. My friend, do you stop and think about the gift, the greatest gift at this time of year? I, again, I'm not against the, the, the giving of gifts, but oh, how we need to stop and consider and think about what the gift that God gave for you and me. I want you to notice in both of these cases, there was a death of the son. In this parable we read here, it says, But those husbands said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance, otherwise the vineyard, shall be ours. And they took him and they killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. We know of another death that took place on Calvary. As the son of the Lord of all the vineyard, he was rejected by men he was despised he was abused he was bruised for you and me and that son's Jesus Christ he died also this all that this, this parable is is really a picture of what would be taking place with God's very own Son. Knowing in advance that as He sent His Son into the world, as He gave His gift to all mankind, He knew what they would do with it before He ever sent it. 
that they would nail it to a tree. They would nail him to a tree. They would abuse him before they did it. They would mock him. They would scourge him. They would pluck the beard from his face. They would spit upon him. The very gift of God. I've often wondered what if you give a gift to somebody and they look at it, they open it up like that and they spit on it and they threw it on the floor and they stomped on it. How would it make you feel? And the greatest gift ever given was spit upon and mocked and abused. You see, in the parable, it was the wicked husbandmen, and their plan was to inherit the vineyard. But in reality, of the death of Jesus, the Son of God. It was God's plan that the lost, the wicked man, might be saved and inherit eternal life. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit, Talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ there. Put to death. That He might bring us where? To bring us to God. Bring us into the presence of God again. Romans 5 eight said, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. You see... Most of us do some type of gift swaps at Christmas. But this was the greatest gift swap ever. Jesus' sinless blood, His death on the cross, was swapped for sinful man's soul that we might have eternal life. Life in heaven with the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. You see, but the question comes to mind, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why would He send His Son knowing what would take place? Why would He do that? Knowing that His Son would be abused, that the very gift of God that He would give would be spat upon, would be abused, and would be nailed to a cross. Why would He do that? Was it because He loved us? Yes. We know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that shows us the love of God. I quoted uh, Romans 5.8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, yes, it's love, but it's more than that. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That word redeem there means to, to ransom or to buy back something. To get it back. In the fall of, of the garden, we... We were sold into sin by Adam. 
And it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ that has redeemed us or bought us back, returned us to our Creator, the rightful owner of our Heavenly Father. It would be like this if... if come, come, come here, uh, Blake. It would be like this if... Um, let me use something here. My wife will get on to me using her stuff. If for some reason something happened and Blake wound up with this, this was mine, and Blake wound up with that, and it was a family, well, he's family, but we'll say he's not. We can kick him out of the family for a little while. It's a family heirloom. It's something that, that is, is precious. Something that is ir- irreplaceable. Something that, that, that there is no anything like it. And yet because, of, because something happened uh, with, with maybe an heir, maybe Hunter had it and, 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 and he, he cast it away and, and didn't do what he was supposed to do and, and it was sold unto him. He needed money for something wicked and vile and, and, and he, he sold it to, to, to Blake. And I want it back. I love it. It means something to me. Somehow, I have to redeem it. I have to ransom it. I have to buy it back. Because you see, now it belongs to Him. So there has to be a payment made to get it back. That day... As Jesus was hanging on the cross and he made that payment and he said this, it is finished. Do you know what he's saying? It's bought back. It's purchased. It's redeemed. Your soul and mine, as it was sold into sin, But we have to accept the gift to be back where we're supposed to be. You see, I could pull out a billfold and and say, what's the cost? And and, and maybe $10 and buy it back. And let's say I did that. Don't run off. It's mine again. You say, preacher, it was yours to begin with. But it got taken away because of wrong motives, foolishness or whatever and sold. And I had to purchase it back. And you know what I'm going to do with it now? I'm going to keep it where I'll never, ever Lose it again. It'll no longer be at somebody else's house. It'll be at mine. Where nobody else can get it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? One day, that purchased possession will return home. That's you and me if you know Christ is your Savior. That's you and me. If you know what's good for you and you want Christmas, give that back.
redeemed. That purchased possession. As Jesus Christ purchased you and me, that redeemed. But it doesn't end there. Yes, he loved us. Yes, it means to buy back. It doesn't end there because there's more to it. God sent his son to redeem us. Not just so that we could go to heaven. But for the Father's namesake. You see, it was for the glory of God that he sent his son to purchase us back. It is in the keeping with the promises of the of the Lord, even there in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God made a promise. And this is a promise that many times is overlooked. This is the first foretelling of the coming of Christ. We read Isaiah a lot, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, uh, about the prophecy of Jesus coming. We, we pick up some in, 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 in some of the other Old Testament books, but go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the foretelling of the Christ coming into the world. And verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Do you know who he's talking about there? He's talking about Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, coming into the world and that Satan would bruise him. But hey, listen, uh, uh, he, would, he would step on those Satan's head and, and, and he would end uh, the, the rule and the reign of Satan one day. He's speaking of the Redeemer. He's speaking of the one that would come and purchase you and I with his precious blood. Why did he do that? For his name's sake. He made a promise in the garden. And for his namesake, he's going to keep his promises. All through the scripture, you can go on through the scripture and you'll find where he makes a promise of, of Jesus Christ coming into the world and, and redeeming a, a, a lost man to return us to our Lord. Hey, listen, it's for his namesake that he's kept that promise. It's for his namesake that we can receive Christ in our Savior. It's for his namesake. For His name's sake, He's keeping His promises for His glory, for the demonstration of His love, and for the power that He shows. And He sends His Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 again, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, for His name's sake. For his name's sake. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Why? For his name's sake. Because what belongs to him, he once brought back for his name's sake. And those who will receive him will bring honor and glory to his name. But one day, the Lord of the vineyard came himself. Look at verse 9. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the husbandman? Will he give the vineyard unto others? But even as the, in the parable the father, his patience ran out. He had sent different ones over and over and over again. 
Some they abused. Some they killed. Finally, he sends his son, and they kill him. And finally, he says, enough's enough. He said, I'll go take care of it myself. And when he goes, I can just imagine he's no longer sending one man, but I imagine as this, as this Lord of this, of this vineyard, as he comes, I imagine he brings his mighty army because no one is going to keep what belongs to him. And he pours out his wrath in vengeance upon those who have killed those that he'd sent before and those who had stoned and killed his son. He pours out his wrath. My friend, Jesus Christ is coming back. I used to say this. He's coming back, and he's coming back mad. You know why he's coming back mad? Because they spat upon him. Because they abused him. Because they rejected him. And they tried to keep others from coming to him. They thought that they could inherit eternal life without the Son. My friend, this morning, you cannot inherit the eternal life without the Son. You must be born again. You must be born again. He's coming back in judgment. He's coming back, and He will pour out His wrath. You find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in, a fl- in, a f- in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obeyed not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, otherwise rejected it, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Likewise, his namesake, he'll judge the ungodly. He'll cast them into a lake of fire after he has already cast Satan and those demons into that lake of fire. And for his namesake, he will stand. King of kings and Lord of lords. No one will take his glory from him. No one will be able to rise up against him. But for his name's sake, he gave his son that you and I might be redeemed, that we might be bought back, that we might be purchased. That one day He would take us home to be with Him forever. To God be glory now and for eternity. Why, preacher? For His name's sake. That's why as we celebrate Christmas this year, celebrate it for His name's sake. For what He gave. Let us praise His name. Let us glorify Him for His name's sake. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy 
to receive honor and glory. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please. No one looking around. This morning, if you'll know Jesus Christ, your Savior, can I remind you that He gave the greatest gift for you? Don't spit upon it. Don't reject it. Don't turn from it. But receive the gift that He has given. Let Him redeem. Let Him purchase back by you receiving the gift that He's given. You see, it'll bring honor and glory to His name when the lost are saved. It'll bring honor and glory to His name when Christians live for Him. It'll bring honor and glory to His name as we celebrate Christmas for the right reason and put Him first. Oh, that He might be glorified for His name's sake. Father, I thank You for loving us. Thank You for this blessed day. And for Your name's sake, Lord, I pray that You would be with each of us to live for You, to serve You. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be that day of salvation, that they might receive Christ their Savior for Your name's sake, that they would be redeemed and bought back. That You might be glorified. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with your heads bowed, your eyes closed?